you, Mike. That was beautiful. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2. Um, golly, how much time do I spend in Acts chapter 6 that that's just what my brain went straight to? We're going to be looking at, at, at the first portion of Acts chapter 2, and I want for our, our Bible reading time together to focus in specifically on the sermon that was delivered by Peter. And so we're going to be reading Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14 through 36 together, but rest assured we're going to be looking at the entire first part of this chapter this morning. If you, This is a lengthy passage, so it's okay, but if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says this, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this was what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and, fly, and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Because, he, because you will not abandon me to Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence." Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned to Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay." God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. 
Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but it was him, he himself, the Lord declares to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Please be seated. Many, many years ago, There was a question that haunted me. And it was the question, where do we start? This was a question that haunted me as I went on my first overseas mission trip. And it was with this church some eight years ago. We sent a small team to travel to southern Brazil, and we traveled to an island just off the coast of southern Brazil called Florianopolis, but the work we were doing was actually within, on the mainland within the state of Santa Cantarina. As we went around, and our, our goal of that first trip was, was really to just understand the country and understand the lay of the land. And, and as we were traveling around and going to all of these, these communities and all of, these, vision, all of these, these villages, I saw nothing but barriers. Explaining what I mean, I didn't know anyone. In fact, the only people I knew were, were the, the missionaries that, that we had seen on, on Zoom calls and, and kind of met over, over phone and video chats. I didn't know the language. I've been trying to learn Portuguese for years now, and still, even when I get there and, and start trying to talk, I'm so self-conscious about messing up, and they talk so fast because they're talking normal, like I'm probably talking too fast now. And I don't understand anything they're saying, but this was the first time I'd ever done it. My Duolingo con consisted of being able to say things like, I ate an apple, or I eat an apple, and who cut the cheese? <laughs> I didn't know the culture. And so the way people drove, the way people moved about, the way people ordered food, and all of those flowing things of life that we often don't think about, and there they were very for, foreign to me, and I didn't understand. Most of the time, I didn't even understand what was going on. I looked different. Not many people in southern Brazil have my haircut. And I think the ones who do are often either sick or not nice. In fact, one of the first questions a little boy asked when I was visiting one of the churches in the area was, is he a professional wrestler? <laughs> I dress different. Even trying to be mindful of, of blending in and, and looking like everyone else, it was still noticeable. Most of the people that, that we encountered in most uh, of the places that we saw. People lived behind large iron gates. 
And there was no way to just have a conversation with them. There was no knocking on the door and introducing yourself, not that I would have had the language nor the courage to do so. Because we were the Americans wandering around a city that Americans don't usually wander around, no one made eye contact, no one understood why we were there, and no one wanted anything to do with us. There was plenty of lostness, though. You could see it as people hurried about their day, living their lives, seeking after meaning and purpose. There was lots of religiousness. We saw churches, but they were all empty. Most people had no understanding or even concept of what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. We'd been there several days. I'd not really had a meaningful conversation with anybody besides the mission team that went, the the missionaries that were there, and a few individuals at the local churches with whom I happened to share a common language. As we got towards the end of our time there, we found ourselves prayer walking, and we were on the outskirts of one of these towns that we had been visiting on multiple occasions, and we were standing just looking at at the homes that were there. We had actually got out of the car with the the purpose of, of just praying over kind of this little tiny, tiny neighborhood on the outskirts of town, and as we were kind of talking, I finally looked at one of the missionaries, and I guess my discouragement had finally got the best of me, and I said, what are we going to do here? I mean, if we come down here and if we try to continue this partnership, where do we even start? How are we going to tell people about Jesus if we can't even get people to talk to us? And how are we going to talk to them about Jesus? Because even if they do talk to us, I don't know how to communicate with them, let alone in a way that would share with them who the gospel is. How are we going to bring the truth of the gospel to a town or a village, to a neighborhood, let alone a state, a country, or even the world? How do we start this when I can't even talk to anybody? It was frustrating. And I don't think my experience was limited to the mission field. I think a lot of us feel that way when we start to think about sharing our faith in general. How are we going to talk to our friends? How are we going to talk to our family? How are we going to talk to our coworkers or the people in our neighborhood? or the people in in our, our clubs and organizations, or the people that we care about, how are we going to tell them about Jesus when we don't even know where to start? And I think as we jump into Acts chapter 2, I really do think that the disciples were thinking the same thing. I think as they were in that room and praying fervently throughout the, the time between Jesus' ascension and the day that we, are going to re- that we have already read about today, they were asking themselves, we have been charged with being God's witness about Jesus to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth, but how are we going to do any of this? I mean, Jesus isn't even here. 
And praise be to God. We get our answer in our passage today. And I want to show you what happens when we, like they so many years ago, let the Holy Spirit work in us and through us for the sake of the gospel. And see, it all started when the Spirit moves. We didn't read it at the beginning of chapter, we didn't read it at our time of reading today, but at the beginning of chapter 2, we read these words. It says that when the day of Pentecost had arrived, this was also known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of the First Fruits. And it says, when Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like, like flames that, that had all separated and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Until the day of Pentecost, the followers of Jesus had been faithful to the Lord. They had been praying, uh, praying diligently, and they were ready to fulfill the Great Commission and carry out the Great Commission, but the Great Commission had not begun in any way, shape, or form. It was crucial that they understood that their work of the witness of the resurrection was completely dependent on the indwelling of the Spirit in their lives. That was something that Jesus had made abundantly clear to them. He said, listen, you are going to be my witnesses to all of these places, but first you will receive power from on high. See, this is the, the first thing that we have to understand when we're asking the question, where do we start? How do we begin this great commission rolling? Is The first thing we have to understand is it is a work of God through the Holy Spirit. It is not a work of us. And that with Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, when we think about we as individuals and we as a group, we have to recognize that the work we have been called to do is a work of God. Think about this for a moment. When we look at chapter 2, the languages was from the Spirit. Their boldness was from the, sp the Spirit. Their ability to articulate and clearly communicate the gospel to the people living in Jerusalem was from the Holy Spirit. Everything about what is happening in our passage today is a work of God, not a work of the apostles. And so when we begin to ask the question, where do we start? Well, it doesn't start with us. It starts with him and God doing a work. This is so true for us today. We have to recognize that our work, which is most certainly a continuation of their work, cannot and will not happen apart from the Spirit's presence in our lives and in the life of the church. This is what that means. No amount of strength, planning, strategizing, learning clever ways to talk or anything like that will accomplish the work that we have been given. We need the Spirit of God at work in us and through us to see the Great Commission become a reality. Brothers and sisters, we have to walk by the Spirit. And we have to trust him. 
This is what Jesus meant when he said in John 15, 5, that I am the vine and you are the branches, and the one who remains in me and I in, in him produces much fruit. But you can do nothing without me. Most of us learn that in the apart from me, you can do nothing. Guys, we have got to surrender ourselves to the work of God, trusting him to accomplish his will. And, that's, and, and, and I'll be honest, and I, that, that's really easy for me to say, that is really hard for us to do. Because that is a surrendering, we talked about that in Sunday school class today, that is a surrendering of our desires and our wants and our wills and what we think we should do. That is a call to do things like pray. And for us, a lot of times praying and doing something or praying and starting are not the same thing. Like praying is the pre-thing and then we start the ministry. And what we're being communicated is for us to do any ministry, we need to be living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. And that requires ongoing, consistent, real prayer. And being with God and walking with God and being obedient to his word and all the things before we even think about anything else. And that's where it starts. It starts with that relationship with the Lord. It starts with a relationship with Christ and being obedient to Christ and being receptive to the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. We need to abide in Christ through his Spirit. Because if we're just trying to do things on our own, if we're trying to do children's ministry on our own, if we're trying to do youth ministry on our own, if we're trying to do music ministry on our own, if we're trying to go out and start a, a Bible study or, or a, a home group or, or an evangelistic ministry at the college campus or at our job or wherever it might be, if we try to do that, just us on our own doing it, we will get exhausted and frustrated and then we will quit. In fact, because of that, so many churches don't even try. Because they look at it and they can't, they don't say, well, we don't have the budget for it. We don't have the people for it. We don't have the excitement for it. We don't have anybody to do that. And then my personal favorite, oh yeah, we tried that once. It didn't work. And we want to do everything through our own means and our own abilities and our own structures and our own strengths. And we don't ever surrender ourselves to the Spirit and allow Him to work. But the apostles... They waited on the Lord, and the Lord keeps his promises, and the Holy Spirit came just like Jesus told them he would, and he filled them up, and he gave them the strength and the boldness and the ability to communicate the gospel, and guys, that really hasn't changed. See, we may ask ourselves, how on earth am I going to share my faith? How on earth am I going to share the gospel with my friend or my family or my coworker or my teammate or whatever it might be? How, how am I going to do it? And the question we may be saying is going, Lord, show me. Use me, empower me, allow me, give me the time, the place, and the words to share my faith to lift those up to God and then expect him to do it. So when we think about where do we start, it starts with the spirit moving, but then it goes to Christ being proclaimed. 
once the apostles and, and the rest of, of those who were with them, I am and very much so inclined to believe that it was more than just the 12 that suddenly were speaking in tongues, but rather all of those people that are mentioned in Acts chapter 1, I think his quote from Joel really points to that, but the apostles and all who were with them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They left the room that they were in. They were drawing a crowd. They probably went somewhere near the temple in order to communicate to a large amount of people, and they were in the street, and what were they doing? Look at verse 11. They were declaring the magnificent acts of God, and they were doing so in the native languages of all of the Jewish people that were in Jerusalem. There were Jewish people from all over the world who had either immigrated to Jerusalem or had come back. Maybe they were there just for the festival. More than likely, they were there for far, they were living there at the time. And in the midst of the, all the chaos and all of the confusion and all of the excitement, Peter steps forth to help the people understand what is transpiring before them. This is something important for us to remember that when the Spirit is at work, Christ is is proclaimed. And when we talk about sharing our faith, when we talk about seeing people get saved, when we talk about the Great Commission, I want you to understand something. That doesn't just happen magically. Now, it's a miracle. And the fact that God uses us to tell other people about Jesus, and then through that, they have something stir up in their heart, and they come, they come to believe that all these things about Jesus are, are true, and because they believe those things are true, that they receive Christ and are saved and pass from death to life, from, from judgment to, to glory and all those things, that's a wonderful miracle. But make no mistake, you have to tell people about Jesus and in Romans chapter 10, it makes that abundantly clear. How will they call on the name of the Lord if they don't know who he is? And how will they know who he is if, they've not, if, if they don't, but, well, it says, how do you call on the name if you don't believe? How do you believe if you've never heard of them? How do you hear of them if they've, no one's ever told you? That's the plan. It's plan A. There's no plan B. And so in the midst of all that is happening and all of the emotion and all the excitement and all of the spectacle that seems to be going on right now, Peter presents the gospel. And I think we can learn something from it. Now bearing in mind, everything we're seeing is the Spirit at work. Notice Peter, how Peter communicates the gospel to these people. First and foremost, there was content. Peter's sermon helped the people understand what was going on. He first quoted Joel to explain what they were seeing. Joel 2.28 says it this way. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream, and your young men will see visions. They needed to understand what was happening in the moment, and so he used Scripture to help them understand that. Along with that, he quotes David in the Psalms. He does this to point that what is happening in the Spirit is because Jesus is the Messiah. Psalm 16.10, for you will not abandon me to Sheol, you will not allow your faithful one to see de decay. Psalm, one, uh, excuse me, Psalm 110 verse 1 says, This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your footstool. Peter did more than just try to emotionally charge them or manipulate them with guilt. He showed them the truth, specifically the truth as it was revealed by Scripture. See, our, our time sharing our faith has to, has to contain more than just, this is how I feel. 
or I just, I just, I just knew. Now, this does not negate your experience, and this does not say that that is not valid and that, that your testimony is not powerful and can be used by God, but we need to have some content. We need to be able to show them why we believe what we believe. We need to show them what we believe. We need to be able to clearly, excuse me, clearly articulate what the Bible says about Jesus and salvation so that people might believe. It had to have content. But notice also for Peter, it had to have context. As we already mentioned, Peter had clearly pointed to the Scriptures and specifically the Old Testament Scriptures because that's really all they had at that point. But he was talking to a Jewish audience. And every single person that was there to celebrate the feast was considered a follower of Judaism. And so the, the Old Testament and the Scriptures of the Old Testament had weight and authority. These people would look to Scripture as something that had meaning and significance in their life, and so he made sure that he quoted to them a hefty amount of Scripture to help them understand that what they already believed affirmed who Jesus was. We actually see this approach in different ways throughout the Scriptures. One of the most significant adjustments to Acts chapter 2 is Paul in Acts chapter 17. And Paul, in Acts chapter 17, goes to Mars Hill, and instead of using a lot of Scripture like we see Peter here, he actually talks about the, the artwork and the statues that are present in the city of Athens, as well as quotes a Greek philosopher in order to help them understand the truth of the gospel. Paul communicates this well in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, when he says, I have become all things to all people that I may by every possible means save some. And so as we are sharing the gospel with the people around us, we need to know our people. We need to know our community. We need to know the people around them. We need to understand them, and we need to be able to speak the good news of the gospel into their life. People are just too smart nowadays to just have us go in with, with the simplest, most bare-bones thing and just say, hey, point one, point two, point three, point four, say this prayer and you're going to be a Christian. doesn't work that way. That might, because it's the Spirit and not us. But we need to come to them, the people, and understand them and understand what they value and understand that even some of the things that are written on our heart that we don't fully understand is, what, is the fact that we were created in God's image and use those things to speak to them the hope and the future that we have in Christ Jesus so they might understand and in understanding they will come to believe. Paul in the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 even says, to the Jew I became a Jew as though under the law, even though I am not under the law. See, we have to do these things because we want to see people come to know Christ. And that brings us to the third part. As we share our faith with people, we need to have content, we need to have context, and we need to have conviction. My, th my favorite thing about Peter's sermon is when he says these words. There's two times when he says it. He says, first off, he says in verse 32, God has raised up this Jesus. We are all witnesses to this. And then he goes on as he's speaking. He says, let the house of Israel know with certainty 
that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter tells the people with confidence and indeed with boldness and conviction that the scriptures point to Jesus as the Messiah. The apostles' testimony points to Jesus as Messiah because of their own senses, because they saw Jesus alive and they were willing to testify to be a witness that they had seen, touched, and experienced a resurrected Jesus. And not only that they had experienced it, but even appealed to the people there in their own eyes and what they had just seen and what they had experienced to say, look for yourself. Taste and see the Lord is good. See that God is at work. I am convinced of these things. See, their conviction made it, made it clear. And for Peter to say that with certainty that God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, shows that conviction. And we can't forget who we're talking about, right? The man who is standing before all of Jerusalem in this moment saying, I have seen the resurrected Jesus and I am convinced that he is the Messiah is the same one who they said, aren't you one of the Galileans traveling with Jesus? And he said, no. But gosh, a lot's happened since then, hasn't it? The Peter who was fearful, who rejected, who cursed, who ran. This Peter who did all these things is now the one speaking with conviction and boldness. Remember how I said it has to start with the Spirit? This is what the Spirit does. See, we need to have context. We need to have, con we need to have content. We need to have conviction but I have to go back to say we need to have the Spirit. I love what Paul says related to all of this. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with a brilliance of speech or with wisdom, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul is making it clear, like, listen, I could have all these things and I could come in with all these things, but what you need is content, context, and conviction, and I need the Spirit for all of them. This leads us to the happy results. Picking up in verse 37, we see what happens, and I, I absolutely love this. We have this moment where really all Paul, Peter has said is that, hey, remember that guy that you crucified? I love that, by the way. Remember that guy that you guys crucified? Yeah, he was the Messiah. Yeah, that one we've been waiting on, you know, for like 400 years, you killed him. Listen to what happens, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other signs and wonders, or with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Jesus, or Peter's message was powerful. It was a well, I mean, it was a powerful message, but it wasn't a powerful message because of him. It was a powerful message because of the spirit that dwelled inside of him. And the response from the people was the work of the spirit as well. Jesus himself said that he was sending the Holy Spirit, that it would convict the world concerning sin. And then we see in verse 37 that those who heard this message were pierced to the heart. And then we get from this the invitation of Peter. The very people who shouted to have Jesus crucified were now being offered salvation through Christ. And that is the best news that we could hear today. We talk a lot. I want you to think about this. We talk a lot about like how Peter or how Paul was, right? And how he was a persecutor of the church and then he God and then God intervened and God showed up for him on the road to Damascus and talked to him and then Paul became this great warrior for the faith and we talk about him a lot. Think about this for just a second. Before Paul there was an entire crowd of people who just a few months prior were the ones shouting to have Jesus crucified, were the ones mocking him and spitting on him and throwing things at him, the ones who were standing there as he was gasping for breath, bleeding out, beaten and, and, brutaled and, and brutally hurt and humiliated, and they were the ones saying, if you're really the Son of God, come on down off of that cross and save yourself. Those people are the same people that are talking to Peter right now. These were residents of Jerusalem. They were there for the crucifixion. They are there against all the resurrection stuff, and they are there for this sermon, and they are hearing all of this, and they're saying, oh, no. We have made a huge mistake. If there was a person out there who probably felt un worthy of forgiveness was these people who had chimed in with the rabble, who had cheered as Jesus was crucified, who maybe celebrated as he breathed his last breath and went home smiling and laughing that that crazy person had finally met his end. And salvation is being offered to them. Look again. Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Repent and be baptized, each of you. In the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
a lot of times. We don't feel like we can talk to God. We don't feel like we can walk into a church. We don't feel like we can ask for forgiveness or salvation because of the things that we did. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see just how far salvation goes. Peter tells the people that crucified Jesus that salvation is offered to them and to their children, to their children's children because of the great love that God has for them. And if it was true for them, it is true for you. And you may be with us today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you, you don't think that that's something that's really there for you and so maybe you're just trying to work it out on your own or you're trying to figure something out, you're trying to figure out a workaround. You don't have to. Salvation is offered to you. You may have said that prayer one day years ago and you maybe you know, got baptized and did all that stuff, but, but your life has been so far away from God and you've been so off doing your own thing that you kind of find yourself in a place where you don't feel comfortable here. In fact, the fact that you are here is, is tough and you're uncomfortable and someone drug you here or whatever and, and you're here now and you feel like you don't deserve to be here. Yes, you do. Because this same forgiveness is still extended to you. See, we can't outrun, we can't out-sin God's love and grace and forgiveness. And all we have to do is do what Peter said, and that is repent. In fact, we see it later when it says, when they see the response, he says, and they accepted, they believed his message and were baptized. See, when the Spirit moves, something happens inside of us. And we begin to see our sin and our need for forgiveness and our need for repent. And that is the call. That is the, the thing that we are, are, are bidding to you today as we look at the book of Acts is repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sin. Surrender yourself to God and he will forgive you. It mentions for the forgiveness of your sins and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are with us today and you're asking the question, where do I begin? And you've not given your life to Christ yet, it begins here. And our call to you today is to repent, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to turn away from your sins, making Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. And I want you to hear this, you will be saved. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. If you're with us today and maybe you've done that, but you've been wrestling with the idea of where do I begin? Where I know God's called me to do something, but I don't know what that something is. And, and I need to know where to start. Start in Acts chapter 2. Start with the Spirit. Start with you placing your trust in Jesus. Walk with Him. And allow God to move you along. 
I've heard it said, and I think it was Kenny Rager who spoke here in the past has said this, but he certainly didn't come up with it. He's not that bright. He said once, he said, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. How are we going to change the world for Christ? We start with the Spirit, and we let God work. If God is moving you in that direction, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. God is moving in this church in a lot of ways that we're very excited about, and we want you to come alongside us for that, pur- for that purpose. In fact, you may help our church move in a direction we didn't even know about. But it starts with the Spirit. And then we move from there. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much. God, we thank you so much for the gift of the Spirit that you bestowed on us even when we didn't know where to start. And Father God, we praise you because we know that that you know where we need to start and you know what the plan is and you know how the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled and you know our role in the Great Commission. And so, God, I pray today that if there are people in this room that they want to be used by you, they want to have that meaning and purpose and hope and future that comes only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God, I pray that today is the day that they surrender their life to you. Lord, that they recognize that they are a sinner, much like the people who heard this first message were, that that they have not known you, not followed you, and that they need you. And God, I pray that they would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one who was nailed to a cross and rose from the grave three days later. And God, I pray that they would repent and they would surrender their life to you and that they would begin to walk with you because they have been saved and they have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Father God, for those of us that, that, that do know Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that we would walk in the Spirit. And Lord, as we look at this great commission task that looks so big and so intimidating and, and we don't know where to start, do we start across the road or do we start across the nation? God, I pray that you would help us to just trust you. And God, that your Spirit would move. And as your Spirit moves, that we would be bold Lord, that we would be ready and, and knowing the word of God, handling it, Lord, that we would know our people, that we would care about them, love them, and want to share the good news of the gospel with them. And God, we pray that you would even go before us in the power of the Spirit to prepare hearts to hear the good news and be saved. Lord, when we look at Acts chapter 2, we recognize that every single part of that is because the Spirit is in us and among us. And God, I pray that we would see that in our lives and that it would move us to boldness for the sake of the gospel. God, have your way with this group and with me today. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.